Well, I'm so glad that you're here. We're talking this week again about the Holy Spirit. So if you were here last week, we kind of rolled this thing out. And I bet you for some of you, your expectation was raised. Like we talked a little bit more about how the the Bible, specifically Jesus talks about the inauguration of this new age, this age of the Spirit. And for some of you, your curiosity was raised. But as soon as your curiosity was raised... It runs smack dab, let me just guess, for some of you, into a suite of fears, right? That's going to be the first thing maybe that happens for some of you. Like you're going to get afraid of certain things. I want to talk about that today, but if we're going to talk about being scared, I thought we should uh, lighten the, the moment a little bit and start with some ghost humor, uh, if you will. So um, I, I found these on a bad joke site, so uh, be ready. Uh, so uh, what do ghosts serve for dessert? Ice cream, okay, it, it doesn't get better. Okay, so uh, keep going. Uh, what does the Papa Ghost say to his family when driving? Fasten your sheet belts. <laughs> I told you it didn't get better. So uh, why did the ghost starch his sheet? He wanted everyone to be scared stiff. And why did the ghost go into the bar? For the booze, of course. <clears throat> All right, so for some, this whole idea is going to lead to some fears, right? This whole idea uh, we talked about last week of being spirit-led, being spirit-filled, being spirit-gifted, it scares them and just wigs them out. And so we want to talk about that. There, I want to talk specifically about three fears that might arise in you as soon as we start talking Holy Spirit. And so I got these, by the way, from Francis Chan's excellent book, Forgotten God, where we got the title for this series. So some really great insights here, but let's just begin Uh, where he begins with fear number one for some of you here's your fear when we talk about the holy spirit and raised expectations you're afraid first of all the holy spirit won't show up when you ask like this won't be true of you all the cool stuff we talked about won't happen for you there are people who hear this message like we talked about last week and somehow feel like all that fullness and the empowerment and the gifting and the transformation and the intimacy that jesus promised when he promised the counselor to come won't apply to you. The immediate fear is I'm going to ask and nothing's going to happen. And fearing that God won't show up, people then stop asking and they do so as a cover. They do it to cover for God or to cover for themselves. And here's what I mean by that. We sometimes think we're going to need to cover for God because like if our expectations are super high about what a spirit-filled life looks like as a follower of Jesus and God doesn't come through, well, Kind of feels like God lied, right? And so we want to cover for God. Rather than feel that shaky feeling like we're going to pray for something and we're going to want for something and God won't come through on the very thing he promised and that may mean that Christianity isn't true. Rather feeling that destabilizing feeling we'll just cover for God and just stop asking. Just stop expecting great things. Just stop expecting the Spirit to do and to be what Jesus promised. Right? That's the first way. We'll cover for God because of this fear. The second thing we'll do is we'll cover for ourselves. Because sometimes what we're really thinking is, yeah, this may be all true, but I'm the one defective person for which the promises of the Christian life do not apply. I'm the one person uh, who is broken. It works for everybody else, but the Holy Spirit cannot fill or gift or transform me because, well, it won't work. 
Because I'm broken somehow. I mean, you feel like you're like a Pluto Christian, right? Sort of a, a pretender. You know, you look like a planet, but you're not really a planet. You know, you look like a Christian, but not really. You're a pretender, and you've always been a pretender. So don't ask. It won't work. For others, yes, not you. Okay, so these are the ways in which that fear will drive us to cover. We're going to cover for God. We're going to cover for ourselves. Regardless of how you're covering your fear, here's what you have to ask yourself, my friend. Do you trust Jesus or not? Because the promises are clear enough. So will you trust him or not? Now, Jesus will put this in the context of your prayer life. So basically he says, look, if you are wanting this life, the kingdom life, the life of the new uh, kingdom, this, this brand new thing that Jesus inaugurated on planet Earth and seen for us first on the day of Pentecost, if you want it, he says, ask for it. So here's how he'll put it in the context of prayer. He was talking to you, friend, when he brings this up. Holy Spirit in prayer in Luke chapter 11, verse 11, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, so that's a good gift in the first century, by the way, a fish and an egg. So just to note the disparity between... a first century good gift and a second century or a 21st century one if you then though you're able know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him so i want you to get this okay so jesus is telling you a very simple thing right here he's saying look you are parents and though you are broken and sinful though you, you every single one of us Uh, have a depravity that lives inside of us and we can probably all recognize it, that doesn't negate the fact that you have an impulse to bless your children. That instinct is inerasable. It's in you if you are a parent and so you want to give your kids good gifts, right? That's just in you. And Jesus is acknowledging that. You don't want to trick them at Christmas. We don't want to give them a a lump of coal. Well, most of the time we don't want to give them a lump of coal. But, but, but mostly we, we want to give them the gift that will make them light up. And you know what I'm talking about. If you're a parent at Christmas time, you know your kids well enough, you know that there's a point at which their heart will be stimulated and flash and that point of exciting them and thrill them in the deep places where their need meets their desire and you know it and you love to bless them at exactly that point. Okay, so Jesus is saying, he's tapping into that instinct when he says, look, you're capable of that kind of generosity and care. How much more? How much more is your heavenly father capable of same? That's the point here, right? If you're capable of it, surely God is more capable of that kind of wonderful generosity. The father has that same kind of heart to bless you, his child. He wants to bless you. And what is it that he wants to bless you with? He wants to bless you with more of himself. You say to yourself, what is the great gift? What is the gift that God would want to give me at the deep places to thrill my spirit? And the answer to that is himself. He wants to gift you with the Holy Spirit. So to whom uh, will God gift the Holy Spirit, AC3? To whom will God gift the Holy Spirit? To anyone who asks anyone who asks now as soon as you put it that simply i know there's going to be pushback in this room 
Some of you are going to say, hey, Rick, you know what? I've tried that. I've been there, done that. I've asked. And Rick, nothing. Nada. Bupkis. Zip. But listen, if that's you, I just want to clarify. Maybe you should ask yourself some hard questions about this. Like, what is it that you really asked for? That's probably important for you to clarify. Because if the Holy Spirit comes to anyone who simply asks, well, then maybe you have to say, I've I've not been asking for the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to underline this. And Holy Spirit 101, you can't miss next week. Dan's going to unpack this. Like some basic Christian understanding about the Holy Spirit, which is often lost because we don't talk about this stuff enough. But here's what Christians have always understood and believed about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. And that's going to be the big aha next week. A person, the third person of this triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus revealed the Holy Spirit to be. And so that's interesting because what you have with a person is a relationship. That's what's being inaugurated when you ask. What's being inaugurated is a relationship. And, and not sort of a clinical uh, association with an energy or an it or a power or some kind of impersonal energy that performs for you. Do you understand? And maybe that, that's what you've been asking for. That's what you've been wanting to associate with is that impersonal energy, force, thing, it. But that's not what you ask for when you ask for the Holy Spirit. You ask for a relationship with a person. You have relationship with people. And so, again, what is it that you're asking for? And again, to put this in the context of prayer, let's just, you know, I want to bring out a very important prayer verse. This is from the brother of, of the Lord, James, who says in James chapter 4, verse 3, he's talking about prayer, but I want you to think about it in the context of our subject today. He said, you have not because you ask not. Remember what Jesus said, right? The, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. So maybe this is true of you. You have not because you ask not. Or when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives to spend what you get on your pleasures. Okay, now again, apply that to the Holy Spirit and maybe some misunderstanding that you have about the Holy Spirit. What did you ask for? Did you ask for a relationship with a person? Or did you ask for buzz or pop or whir? Did you ask for energy or emotion or a miracle? Did you ask for a gifting or a feeling? What did you ask for? Did you ask for a person? Did you ask for God himself? I so relate to this. Um, I was in college um, and there was a moment there we were studying the book of Acts and suddenly my curiosity and my whole understanding of the life and the spirit was piqued. I said, this is normal. This is what the church is supposed to be. A collection of people filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, gifted with the Holy Spirit, and I wanted more of the Holy Spirit or so I thought. Uh, I, I was asking and God wasn't showing up and I was deeply disappointed in this but you know what I started to realize that one of the ways the really the prime way that I was I was asking for the Holy Spirit to show up I'll be very transparent with you was in a specific spiritual gifting I wanted the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life in the gift of tongues that's what I wanted and I asked and asked and didn't receive and then I looked at this a whole lot more, and then I started realizing, wait, I, I'm, I'm asking as if the Holy Spirit is an energy or, a, or a, a source of power that I can sort of manipulate and show up in the way I want, in the way that I expect, in the gifting that I choose, not in the gifting that he chooses. And then I realized that the, the explicit teaching of the New Testament church was that the Holy Spirit decides on the gifts 
And he distributes them just as he desires, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. And does everybody have the gift of leadership? Does everybody have the gift of hospitality? Does everybody have the gift of tongues? And the answer is no. So I realized I was barking up the wrong tree. And then on top of that, I realized that the prime evidence that the Holy Spirit was in me and moving and active was not one particular gift, it was fruit bearing. Okay, and this is an amazing thing. A confirmation, as, I'm, as all this learning is starting to fall on me, a friend of mine, who by the way was very strong in a charismatic tradition, very comfortable with the gift of tongues and all that stuff, came up to me and said, Rick, you are a spirit-filled man. Just unbidden said this to me. And it took me aback, right, because of all that I had been praying about. I said, really? I mean, why would you say that? He said, Rick, because I see in you the expanding qualities of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness. And of course, I knew as a Bible student, he was referring to Galatians chapter 6, and this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is universally available to everyone who is walking in the Spirit, everyone who is filled with the Spirit. I had to ask myself, wait a minute, what was I asking for? Was I asking for a relationship with a person or was I asking for some sort of buzz or pop or word that would be uh, mine, you know, the universe, mine to control or to command. No, this is not what I'm asking for when I ask for the Holy Spirit. And so the question was, will I trust God when I'm asking for his gift? Will I trust that maybe it will, uh, the gift will show up in a way that I wasn't expecting, in a time I wasn't expecting, for a purpose that I wasn't expecting? And the only way I know how to process this fear of God not showing up is to ask. Ask for him and ask and keep on asking, believing that Jesus wasn't lying and you ask through your misunderstandings of the Holy Spirit and you ask through your, your lousy motivations. Just keep asking all the way through. That's the only way I know how to do it because that's how it gets purged. That's how the bad motivations get purged out of you is you don't stop asking. And by the way, that's a great way to deal with unanswered prayer. You just, you just don't stop asking and you process through the no you process through the not yet you process through the maybe you process through the you're not ready you process through all of that simply by doing one thing and that's you ask and you ask and you keep on asking and something's going to break and it might just be you or your understanding but you just keep continue to believe that um, he wants to give you this gift and that, in fact, the Holy Spirit, he is already in you if you are in Christ. So there's a second fear, besides the fear that God won't show up, and you might laugh at this, but it's sort of the opposite fear. The opposite fear is that the Holy Spirit will show up. Right? See, so there's some of you who are, like, fully convinced that God would turn you right on upside down if you asked for more, than him, more of him. And you're convinced of that. Now, some of you would say, wait a minute, Rick, how could this be a bad thing? How would anybody be afraid of more of God? How could anybody be afraid of that? Well, you know, it'd be like being afraid of being gifted a Maserati or being afraid of a of, of, uh, million dollars being give, given to you or being afraid of going to heaven or being afraid of being a Canadian, all things that we all desire and want, of course, intrinsically, inherently, and perpetually. So, no, sadly, I, I think that there are people who, you know, they want the idea of heaven or an idea of the Holy Spirit, but not the real thing. And so Tozer, this is a guy, is a great author. You guys, if you haven't read him yet, you need to start reading him. He's a great a thinker and pastor of the prior century. And he wrote great books, Pursuit of God, Knowledge of the Holy. Here's what he says about the Holy Spirit. He says, that you want his benefits, I take for granted. 
but do you want to be possessed by him? Do you want to hand over the keys of your soul over to him and say, Lord, from now on, I don't even have a key to my own house. I come and go as thou tellest me. Are you sure you want this? Are you sure you desire it? (laughs) Right? That is the question. And the answer for many of you right now, even in this room, might be no. I do not. I do not desire it. Now, it's certainly true throughout, throughout history since the Holy Spirit was given that many, many outside the church certainly are resisting the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, the Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and many right to this moment are resisting, resisting, resisting for all of the problems they would see of an unconditional surrender to God. But friends, the great irony is that there are people inside the faith, inside the church who are resisting as well. People who have welcomed the Spirit in the new birth, they have welcomed the life change of God, the forgiveness, but they are now, right now, actively resisting the fullness of the Spirit in their life through a lack of surrender. What are they afraid of? You're afraid of loss of control. Afraid that the surrender will bring pain. That is something you're going to have to process. It is. Because, you know what? For the Holy Spirit does not come for half measures. He comes to renovate the whole house, not just to redecorate one room. So you are going to have to figure that one out, friend. He comes to turn you upside down. And you know what? There might be some pain involved with that. If you need a picture, there is Eustace from uh, C.S. Lewis's Voyage of the Dawn Treader. A lot of you have read Chronicles of Narnia, right? And a beautiful metaphor and allegory of not just the redemption event, but of all Christian living. And so in it, you kind of see this picture of maybe the painful surrender, but at the same time in this picture of Eustace uh, and um, Aslan, you also see the beauty of what God wants to do with you in surrender. Look at this. So you have the scene that starts with Eustace. You remember this, right? He's a pretty rotten kid. He's, he's got the lousiest character probably of all the kids that are there in Narnia. He's found himself greedily in possession of a pile of gold, and he falls asleep on it, and he wakes up a dragon. The gold bracelet that he had greedily put on his boy arm was now pinching his dragon leg and the pain was excruciating. So finally Aslan the lion comes to this, you know, woe-begotten figure of Eustace the dragon, right? And he's the Christ figure, as you know. So there's Aslan, he's the Christ figure, and he leads Eustace to a garden well on the top of a mountain. And Eustace somehow knows that if he could just get into the water, the pain in his leg would go away. And that that water clearly represents the waters of baptism. But Aslan says, before he can get into the water, he must get undressed first, which is a picture of unconditional surrender. So Eustace remembers that he's a dragon, and he goes, how am I going to get naked? I mean, I'm a, I'm a dragon, I got skin. But then he remembers, wait, like snakes, you know, you can peel off the skin. So he starts to peel off his own skin, and he starts, oh, I got to get undressed. So he starts tearing off layer after layer. After three layers, he realizes it's not working, like somehow it's just growing back. So he will never make himself clean to get rid of his pain by shedding the nasty skin on his own, in his own effort. And so Aslan says to him, you will have to let me undress you. And then Lewis describes what Eustace felt. Now this is in the first person, he says. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. 
Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself. The other three times, only they hadn't hurt. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I would no skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. As soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. Friends, some of you are afraid. You ask for more of the Holy Spirit because there's going to be pain. You get it. And I would say that you have a realistic picture in this sense. There will be change in the surrender. In the full surrender, your, your life will get turned upside down. The wild goose will send you on wild adventures that you did not previously ask for or even imagine. It will happen. And change, such as, as it is, is often painful. You're right. Surrender means change. But what you're wrong about is the end game. You're just wrong about the end game. You're wrong about how beautiful it will be. Maybe that's what you failed to understand. What Eustace says, how delicious it was to be transformed from the depths by the Christ. I mean, it's just kind of amazing. So is the Holy Spirit a good gift or not? Will you believe Jesus or not? Yes, yes, the Holy Spirit will bring Aslan's fierce claws near and he will cut your old heart right out of you and send you on wild adventures you had not planned for yourself, but he'll turn your dragon flesh into a heart of flesh and you will look more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the end game. Here's what Paul will say in describing the process 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's the end game. You will be liberated. Do you understand? Do you want to be liberated? Do you want the freedom from what now holds you? And the sin that so easily entangles? This is the end game. And we who with unveiled faces, Paul says, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into Him. His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is what the Spirit has come to do, to transform you with ever-increasing glory so you look more and more and more like Jesus. And the more you look like Jesus, the freer a person you are. And that's the end game. Friends, it is safe to let the dangerous Aslan to bring about his awesome gift in your life. It is safe to say yes. It's safe. And if he shows up, yes, your life will be turned upside down, but you will not regret it. Now we turn to a third and final fear that I think some of us have, and that is simply this, that you say yes, and the Holy Spirit will make you weird. (laughs) And friends, this is a pervasive thing, and probably more and more so in certain traditions than in others. So let me talk about that. Let's talk about the difference in certain Christian traditions when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a church where we would have a conversation, it was often implicit, but sometimes explicit, about that other church in town. You know the one. The one that deeply emphasizes the Holy Spirit, super conversant in the Holy Spirit, talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, the charismatic church, the holy rollers. And they weren't exactly to be avoided, exactly, but they were certainly labeled in my tradition. They were labeled as too emotional, too mercurial, which is to say too up and down, too weird, too weird. Better to be good Mennonite steady 
than to be blown around by the, quote, winds of the Spirit. Because that, <laughs> that led to problems, you know. I mean, you know, beginning with being way too demonstrable in worship, which is a clear problem. Uh, but also to people flying off the deep end, you know, being too extreme, right? This was all implicit in my tradition, which did not emphasize the Holy Spirit. Here's the truth, as I've come to see it from this side of that experience. There was a lot of emotion over there. There was. And there could be a lot of cliches. There were some high-flying disciples who could throw around a, the Spirit said and hallelujah, brother, and you know, this is what God said to me and glory, hallelujah, and the whole thing. And those, some of those high-flying disciples did not last. And then they were deeply gripped in kind of an emotionalism that had no staying power. But I'll say this as well. Here's another truth. That underneath the critique of them, many of us were just worried about being weird. We were worried about being perceived a certain way. And some of you maybe have the same fear right here because you have an association with someone who's far from God, who's investing in the Christian faith, who considers the whole thing at an arm's length and considers Christians weird. And you don't want to play into that hand by being overly spiritual. So maybe this is your fear. But listen, friends, maybe we need to decide between what is common in the Christian church and what is weird, right? So it may be that it's uncommon that we all would have a deeply intimate walking relationship with the Holy Spirit, that we were conversant in it, that it was a language that we were easy. Maybe that's not very common because we're so worried about looking weird. But friends, that ought to be normal, right? Ought that not to be normal? Here's Paul redefining normal for you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery. Do not put yourself under the control of addictive substances. That's crazy. That leads to terrible behavior. Instead, bring yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's have a little Greek lesson. That verb, be filled, is in the present tense. In Greek, it always has this idea of ongoing action. So some of your translations will translate it like this. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk. Don't bring yourself under some other foreign substance control. Bring yourself continually, daily, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There's some way in which you have a choice, and it comes back to Jesus. Ask and keep on asking. This does not mark sort of the defining moment where you're filled with the Holy Spirit and then that's it, one and done, and your relationship with the Holy Spirit is static after that. This marks a continual, daily, renewing relationship with a person. And that ought not to be weird. That ought to be normal. And maybe it's not common, but it should be normal. I was reading the Stephen King novel, The Stand, He's got some great fiction. And this is a great book about a deadly flu virus the U.S. government uh, develops and accidentally unleashes on the world, infecting person after person. And as the book progresses, you start to realize that the whole human race practically is going to die from this virus. It's out of control. So early on, the focus is going to be on the very, very few people who are going to be immune to the virus for some reason and are going to survive the flu-pocalypse. Okay, so that's the premise of the book. Here's the thing. You realize that even if the whole world gets the disease, it's not normal, right? 
The disease is not normal. It's common. It's so common that almost the entire population of the earth is decimated by it, but it's still not normal. Friend, if the whole world is sick, health is still normal. Do you understand? And in the same way, being filled with the Spirit, being guided by Him, being empowered by Him, being comforted by Him, being spoken to by Him is normal. No matter how common it is, it's normal. It is the normal Christian life. So how do you deal with this fear of weirdness? I want to say Paul will give it to you perfectly in one single verse. He will help you surround it on both sides. So here's what he says to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, a little letter in the back of your New Testament, chapter 519. He says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. He, gives, he surrounds this whole weirdness thing on both sides. And how does he do it? First, He's, he's basically saying, don't get cynical. That's the first piece of this. In other words, care more about putting out the Holy Spirit's fire, the, the, the risk of that. Care more about that than you do about looking weird. Don't shut it down. And why would anyone want to shut down the Spirit? Why would anyone want to shut it down? Well, I'll tell you why. Because sometimes people use the Holy Spirit to bully other people, to spiritually manipulate, to get something, to look spiritually superior, to shield themselves from criticism for deeply immoral or immature behavior. That's why. That's why you'd shut it down. You'd have a bad taste in your mouth because all that stuff. So you're once burned by this overly spiritualized version of Christianity, and what do you do? You get cynical, and you shut it down. You say, no, I'm not talking that spirit stuff. It's just weird. You shut it down. You get cynical. Paul says, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't get cynical. Don't despise prophecy. Now, by the way, that's not maybe what you think it is. It's not like somebody, you know, predicting the future. The way the gift of prophecy worked in the New Testament church before they even had a canonized Bible that was transmitted around the churches is is the Spirit spoke through people who had this impression of thus saith the Lord. This is what God is saying. God told me. I feel like God is saying And what Paul says, when people talk like that, when they are talking about this intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, don't assume nut job. Okay, that's what he's saying. He's saying, don't shut that down automatically. Why not? Because the Spirit's fire is how we know God's nearness and comfort and voice. So don't shut it down. That's the first bumper. Here's the second, next verse. But what should you do? Test everything, right? Don't assume that everything that claims to come from God does come from God. Instead, test it. Now, what would be one key ruler, a guide by which we might test something that claims to come from the Spirit of God? Scripture, exactly. The objective measuring stick of Christian Scripture. So look, we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired this word. And it's codified for us here in these 66 books and now people wrote it, of course. Don't think that Christians kind of have this dictation model of what the Bible actually represents. That's Mormonism. That's Islam. For Mormons and for Muslims, their book came to them literally like golden tablets, man, fell from heaven, like dictation model. But Christians believe that God worked in and through the prophet. And you can actually see the prophet's own personality that shows up in, inside the scripture or in a letter written by Paul. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit didn't carry that person along and that the result is now inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe. And because we believe that, here's the logical result of that. The Holy Spirit will never speak in contradiction to you what he said already in the inspired word. That makes sense, doesn't it? 
that he's not going to tell you something that contradicts what he already said to everybody through the universal application of the word. And so he's not going to speak to you in a way that directly contradicts his clear instruction from yesterday. So if the Holy Spirit is leading you to leave your wife for 30 years, I'm not buying it. And so if the Holy Spirit is leading you to avoid church gatherings, I'm not buying it. And if the Holy Spirit is leading you to be lax about addictive substances, I'm not buying it. And guess what? I pick those three examples not to be ridiculous, but because people have tried to make those, that case to me in those exact three areas. And why am I not buying it? Well, I'm just not buying it because um, it contradicts what the Holy Spirit has already expressly said. So the way you address this fear of weirdness is to ride this balance tenaciously. Do not quench the Spirit's fire in a person's life. You don't assume an internal impression, a gifting, a direction is always subjective emotionalism. It might be, but don't assume it. Don't be cynical. Don't let your material side cause you to be cynical. On the other side, you don't accept everything that claims to come from God as valid. You test everything. You test everything. And now when it comes to your relationship with the Holy Spirit, you don't play that God card haphazardly, you understand? Really important. Have you noticed, by the way, if someone is in a relationship and you're talking about some questionable action that they're thinking about taking, and as soon as they throw the God told me thing, it shuts down everything? Like, boom. It's like, well, I guess God told you. Now we're not talking anymore. Now we're not dialoguing. We're not discussing. We no longer see in a glass darkly, as Paul said. We, you apparently see perfectly clearly, and, and there's no discussion or, or debate or dialogue. So there's a time for that, friend, but it's never without first being willing to have those impressions checked in humility because you also, like me, see in a glass darkly. So because of that, we, we test these impressions against Scripture first, against trusted Christian counsel second, okay? So finally, friends, what are you going to do with all these fears? I, you have to work through this, and you have to work through it first establishing your own expectation, not based on what you think is weird or not, but based on how the spirit life was first laid down for us by the New Testament community. You gotta read John 14 where Jesus sets the expectation of what it's gonna be when the counselor comes. You have to read the book of Acts. You have to read Romans chapter eight and analyze as you do and see as you do that there's nothing queer or strange or eerie about the Holy Spirit. There's nothing to fear. And if you feel today in your heart a longing, if you feel in your heart today a depth of spiritual intimacy with God that you are called to, that you cannot muster on your own, if you feel that there are mystic depths of power that you have not heretofore had access to, if you feel there's a fruit that, that must be born in your life of new character and victory, and you must have it, if you're feeling all of that, then I say this to you. Come and lay down everything as you ask because the Holy Spirit cannot fill what he cannot have. He will not fill what he cannot have. And so that's on you. The full and complete repentance. The total surrender. And then the ask. Come, I say, ask. Ask boldly, ask often, ask daily, believing that God is good and wants to give good gifts to his children and then come and be ready to follow because the wild goose, which is what the early Irish Christians called the Holy Spirit, the wild goose is gonna send you on some wild adventures. 
And some of those adventures might be in the way in which you process unanswered prayer. I say that by way of transition. I want to invite one of our elders up here, uh, Wayne Clinton. He has an announcement to make to you today. And uh, sometimes when you are living in the Spirit, some of that relationship is processed through answers to prayer that come back as no or not yet. And whatever that is, it's going to be an adventure. And Wayne is now on an amazing adventure. He wants to talk to you about it. So Wayne, right. share. Oh, here we go. Hi, James. Hi, Celia. <laughs> Love you guys. So I've been having some health issues. Uh, a lot of you know it. I tried to get the information out there over the last couple of weeks. But um, through the process of the last six months, they've been testing me for, for things, and they've diagnosed me with uh, a final diagnosis, but they removed all the things I don't have. I don't have Parkinson's. I don't have dementia. I don't have tumors. I don't have anything. But uh, last week on Tuesday, they diagnosed me with progressive muscular atrophy which is a form of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and it's terminal. So my doctor's ex explaining to me all the things, uh, how it's going to happen, the, the order of everything happening, and what treatments are available, which is basically none. There are none. But in the process, as he's speaking to me, I hear <laughs> the weird part, hmm. the other voice that says, but I am the great physician, and I trump them, hmm. right? So my hope that I send heavenward is, Lord, I need more time. I have things that you've assigned me to do that I'm not complete with. I have children that I'm teaching. I have adults that I'm teaching. I have people I'm walking through life's struggles with, and I haven't heard the voice that says, you're done. So my plan is to just keep going, because... God can do the impossible. Mm -hmm. He's shown yeah. me it many times in my life. He's shown it in the lives of you guys and the stories that I know about you all. Yeah, that he can just make his own mind up and do whatever he wants. But in this, you know, my plan is to just keep going. I'm going to just keep trotting along and, and do what I can do until, you know, if this disease proceeds and it takes me and it removes the ability to do things, I will change it then. You know, we'll just go with it with grace. But my hope is that I still, in the process, as I'm walking through it, that I live out the plans of the Holy Spirit that come through me and, and out. Because I don't want to live a life of fear. That's, mm -hmm. that's really easy to do, actually. And you can go there quite quick. But like the scriptures say, you know, they, they bring up um, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter mm -hmm. 11, and is it any surprise that I walk in the doors and it's up on the screen when just hours before mm -hmm. the Lord wakes me from a sleep and says, turn your radio on, and I turn it on, and it's Luke 11. Mm -hmm. No, that doesn't surprise me. Different parts of the chapter, that surprised me. I thought when I heard it, um, it was going to be, you know, the Lord's Prayer, because it says Pastor uh, Jack Graham's going to talk about the Lord's, you know, how how we're supposed to pray. So I just figure it's going to be, okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Anal me, I got it figured out, right? No, God's got a different plan, and he brings a whole different part of that chapter out. And he says, suppose you go to your neighbor at midnight, and he's in bed, but you have a guest that came to your house, and you have nothing to give him. Yet, you go to your neighbor, neighbor, wake up, I have need. And he says, 
Go away. I'm in bed. My children are all asleep. He won't get up to give you bread because you're his friend, but because the audacity for you to come to his house at midnight, friend, he will get up and get everything you need plus. And the Lord says, those who seek, find. Those who knock. The door is open. So I'm doing a lot of knocking right now. Mm -hmm. Heaven, hear me. I want to continue. Not that I don't want to be robbed from going into God's glory and spending my day with Jesus. That, I'm not afraid of going to do that. That's going to be like, that's the party, right? But in the meantime, I have a lot of things that I really believed were going to take place that I'd like to see to fulfillment. And it's not just for my joy. It's to draw people to him. People that he gave me an in. Just a significant in. If you haven't watched, I have an in with the kids around here. And that's from him. That's, that's mm -hmm. not me. He just blessed me. And it pours out. And the rewards are, I have access to kids' hearts. Mm -hmm. So I'm mentoring them. I'm nurturing them. Trying to teach them that there is a God that sees all, loves all, forgives all. And I'm not done. I want to just keep going on that. But in all this, I'm reminded of a lesson that Rick taught me many years ago. And I'm going to show it to you because it'll bring some perspective to God's plan. We get uh, all tied up in stuff. And consider this my life, right? I have birthdays in it. I have anniversaries. I have sorrows. I have weddings. I have children. I have work. I have all those things. But in it, I get all caught up in it, right? But that life is not this life. This is this life. This is eternity. This is the life <laughs> we all get caught up in. All the troubles and worries. Oh, I'm not going to make that. The appointments, the tasks, the joys. But this, this is where it's at. Mm. So we're supposed to live this for this, right? And I'm just asking for a little more of that, for some of this. Mm -hmm. So I covet your prayers and your petitions on behalf of me and Connie and um, my son Brian and the Lincoln children and Greg and Jenny. You know, they're like my, they're, they're my tight little social group. And uh, should this take its course and I'm gone, they'll need y'all. So walk this with me. Mm -hmm. Don't treat me any different. I just might be broken one day. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk more about it in extended. So. Yeah, so I wanted to let you know, so for some of you, this might fall on you a little bit, like a bomb, uh, because Wayne has cut a wide swath at AC3 and touched a lot of lives. So you want to ask about the diagnosis, about what comes next, about what he's thinking about, about um, his spiritual life, about your spiritual life, about unanswered prayer. We're going to talk about that in extended, okay? That'll be in a couple minutes. If you've got children who, uh, you know, being beautifully affected by Wayne and his ministry, uh, you might want to talk to the Creek Kids leaders about this, about how to break that to them, how to talk to them about it a little bit. We also have some resources on the website. 
And also, if you just want to talk to someone, like a pastoral counselor or somebody from our staff, just call the church office, make an appointment. We're going to be available on Tuesday night, 7 to 9, to show up, and we'll be somebody here, or Wednesday afternoon, or just call and make an appointment, because maybe you need to process this. We are going to be here for you, and we're going to be here for Wayne. And so let's, uh, let's pray now, and let's ask, because we've been called by the Master to ask. Father, we do ask and keep on asking and we knock and we keep on knocking and we seek and we keep on seeking because we have a good Father in heaven who loves to give good gifts to his children and we believe that. So Lord, we ask for the good gift of physical healing for Brother Wayne. We ask that you would lift this, take it from him knowing instantly that if that day happened that the glory would go to you, that the spotlight would be shown on the grace and power and wonder of Jesus Christ. And so for your own name's sake, Lord, we pray that you would lift our brother up and remove from him the ailment. But if you do not, then we trust that a good father has something even better, something that's somehow mutually opposed to saying yes to these prayers, and then we trust that that's going to be true. And so, Father, we look to our brother Wayne to show us, because he's, he's showed us how to do a lot of stuff. He showed us how to teach. He showed us how to prioritize Jesus. He showed us how to walk through the waters of conflict, resolution, and peacemaking. And now, Lord, may he show us how to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so, Lord, we pray that in Jesus we'd live well and we would know because of the gospel how to die well. And that, Lord, is our inheritance and the reason why we have trusted in him. And so we pray all of this in his powerful, beautiful name. Amen. Amen.